all of you, and it's always such a blessing to to be able to come back here and and uh, just to catch up with some family, and uh, we're just thankful for uh, how the Lord has given us friendships that are lasting, and uh, we just love this church very, very much, and uh, every time we come here, it's like coming home, and uh, we're just so thankful for this church and for all of you. And I count it a tremendous privilege to be able to uh, be here this week, and any time I get an opportunity to preach here, uh, it means more to me than you know. And uh, I just thank the Lord for that, and I'm uh, excited about the week, excited about what God has in store for us here. Uh, A lot of prayer has gone into this week. I know on, on this end of things, I've been praying about this for uh, a while, I guess, since we really made the made the commitment to go ahead and do this, and um, our church back in Missouri is praying for you. In fact, I got several text messages today of people just letting us know that they've been praying and are praying every day uh, that the Lord will meet with us here and will work, and that's what we need, folks. We need God. We need Him to meet with us. Um, I'm absolutely aware that apart from the Spirit of God, uh, we're wasting our time in being here. Uh, if, if, if all you hear is some kind of a, a motivational message that it's just in the wisdom of men, uh, it, it's not worth being here. But folks, if God is here and God meets with us, and God speaks to us, then it's all been worth it. And whatever sacrifice that you've made, and and I've made, and we've made to be here, uh, is all worth it, and so much more. And so I hope that you've come here with hearts expectant, uh, waiting to hear from God, and and looking for, and listening for His voice, Uh, speaking through His Word. I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 33 tonight. Before I do, uh, before we get into the message tonight, and I I told some of you that I promise I'll try not to preach much past 9.30, um, but I forgot. I've I've gotten accustomed in our church, uh, we start our Wednesday evening service at 6, not 7, so let me just correct that and say I'll try not to preach much past 10.30, okay? And so forgive me for that. Um, but, uh, you know, we're here and what we're doing this week, uh, we call this a revival meeting. And some of that might just be tradition, I suppose. But the reality is we call it a revival meeting because that's what we want to happen. We want to experience revival, we want to experience revival in our, in our lives, within our church, within our community. We recognize, I think, most of us that our nation needs revival, that we need hearts turned back to the Lord, and, and we desire that. But there are some things about revival that I, I think we miss sometimes and we fail to remember. Uh, w- one of those things is this, you cannot schedule revival. You can't just put it on a calendar and bring in a preacher and say, we're having revival this week. It doesn't work that way. Revival isn't something that we just drum up. It's not some um, emotional event that we experience. True, 
Genuine revival is a moving of the Spirit of God that changes us. And really, true revival is not something that we're going to... It's, it's not going to be seen, oh, we had revival this week. Why? Because the altars were full or because people were moved and we just felt uh, stirred up and, and excited about what was going on. That's, that in itself is not revival. How do you know when revival has taken place? When things are not the same. When... Weeks from now, months from now, years from now, your life is no longer the same. God changed you. When there's victory, true victory over sin and stronghold in your life. When there's restoration of relationships that have been strained. When, when, there's, when there is renewed love for God that's lasting beyond some emotional high. When there's a renewed zeal for serving God, for reaching the lost, the, those are the, the evidences, the fruit of true, genuine revival. And that, those are not things that we can manufacture. Those are things that God has to do for us. And if, the, the good news is this, if we want to see revival, I believe it's available to us. Because these are all things that God wants to do for us. God wants to renew in your life your love and zeal for Him. And I'm not saying, well, you don't love God or you don't have zeal for God. Don't take me the wrong way on that. I'm just saying I understand, having been saved as long as I have and walking with the Lord as long as I have, that over time... Some, uh, we, we can grow cold and hard-hearted toward the things of God, and we need to be renewed and revived in that way. God wants to give you victory in your life. Maybe you've got some kind of a struggle, and you say, boy, I, I just can't seem to get victory in this area. Listen, God wants to do that for you, and it's available. But if we want God to do that for us, it's going to require of us a couple of things. We're going to have to be seeking it. You, you go back and you study the history of great movements of God, and, and never once did a, a, a true revival break out in a, in a church or in a community where there weren't people who were actively seeking for God to move. We've got to be seeking it. We have to be humble, willing to allow God to show us some areas in our life that need to change. And willing to submit to the authority of the Word of God above all else, even if it goes against our feelings or our opinions. And we have to be willing to put to practice what God has showed us in His Word. And I believe if we will do those things together with sincere hearts, Lord, I maybe don't even recognize all the needs in my own life, but whatever you see in me that needs to change, I'm willing to lay that on the altar and let you change me the way you want to, Lord. If that would be your heart this week, I believe God will do a work in your life. And I hope that's your heart and your desire. And so let's pray that way together, that the Lord would stir within us some true, genuine, lasting revival in the things that he wants to do here this week. 
We're in Exodus chapter 33, and we're going to read a passage of Scripture. If you're there, I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of the Scripture tonight, if you're able to. If you're not able to for whatever reason, that's totally understandable, and no problem at all. But uh, if you're able to stand, let's do that together as we read. Let's, um, we're going to pick it up in verse number 9, but let me give you a little bit of background here. In the previous chapters, Moses has been on Mount Sinai meeting with God as the Lord is giving to them the law. He's giving Israel the law. We find the Ten Commandments, for instance, and and, and instruction in their worship of the Lord and, and things that God expects of His people. And while Moses is in the mountain there meeting with the Lord, the children of Israel grow impatient They're not sure what happened to Moses, but they decide that they're going to make a golden calf and they're going to bow down and worship that golden calf. So Moses comes down off of the mountain after meeting with the Lord, 40 days and 40 nights uh, meeting with the Lord face to face as much as a man can. And as he comes down off the mountain, now the people have already corrupted themselves and they've, they've fallen into idolatry. And so the Lord gives to Moses some instruction on how to deal with that. We're not going to go into all of that tonight. But he's just told them at the beginning of chapter 33. In fact, let's go ahead and read in verse number 1, just to get our, an understanding of the context here. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt unto the land which I swear, unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way." So right here, I mean, this sounds like good news. I'm going to send you into the promised land, and and I'm even going to send my angel before you to prepare the way. That sounds great, except then God says, but I can't go with you. My presence among you would consume you. It would kill you because you're a stiff-necked and wicked people, and and, and my presence cannot go with you. And so the people are mourning over this, and let's look at verse number 9. It says, it came to pass... As Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me, yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this, thy, that this nation is thy people. And he said, this is God's response to Moses, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. 
I want you to notice verse number 15, the statement that Moses makes here. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us, so shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of of the earth. You can be seated tonight. Moses was a man who even living in an Old Testament time where much of the Bible, most of the Bible had not been written at the time of Moses and most people did not have much opportunity to really live in fellowship with God. Moses was a man who communicated with God on a very regular basis. We read of the Lord meeting with him really for the first time in Exodus chapter 3 as Moses is out in the wilderness and the Lord appears to him in that burning bush and speaks to him for the first time uh, to, to call him to go back into Egypt and to lead the nation of Israel out. And from that time forward, really the rest of the account of the life of Moses, there is constant interaction between him and the Lord. Uh, when there was a, a need that arose, he would bring it to the Lord. When, when there was something that God wanted him to do, God would speak to him. And, and we read even here, in verse number 11 of this passage, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. I mean, Moses was a man who knew what it was to walk with God and fellowship with God in a way that perhaps nobody else that was alive at that time was able to experience. Moses knew what it was to fellowship with God. And friend, I don't know about you, but I know for me, the longer that I'm saved, and the more that God works in my life, the more I become aware of my constant need to be in fellowship and communication with God. That I need Him to speak to me. I need Him to lead me. I need Him to direct me. And when I find myself in a place of need, in a place of burden, I'm much better off if I bring that need to God rather than just trusting in my own wisdom or looking to some other man on this earth to meet my needs. And so the more that I'm, I, I grow in the Lord and the longer I'm saved, the more I recognize my great need for fellowship and communication with God. Moses was a man that knew what it was to fellowship with God. There are some things about Moses' relationship to God here that I, that I think would be very helpful for us as we seek to have a close relationship with God, and hopefully your desire is to be growing in Him and, and, and having a deeper relationship with Him all the time. There are some things that we learn about Moses' relationship to God from this passage of Scripture that I think if they would be true of you and true of me, we would find that our relationship and our fellowship with God would be stronger. The first thing that I want to point out to you here is that Moses was passionate about the presence of God. Moses was passionate about the presence of God. 
In this passage, I showed you at the outset that the Lord had just made a promise to them or, or really was telling them how he would fulfill a promise to them. He said, listen, even though you have sinned and even though you have gone against my law, because of my covenant, because of my promise to you, I will fulfill what I said I will do. I am going to bring you into the promised land. Now, the promised land, if you think of it uh, and understand what the Bible has to say about it, this was a place that no one else had ever experienced anything like this. God was taking a nation of slaves and he was giving them a place of their own where each family would have their own land that, they, that belonged to them. But it wasn't just land. This was prosperous land. It was that land that was flowing with milk and honey, which, which meant that it was, it was fertile ground. It was well-watered ground. It was a, a place where they would go and they would be able to prosper. And I bring you into the land you're going to find that you don't even really know the inhabitants of the land. And when I bring you in, you're going to live in houses that you didn't build. And you're going to eat the fruit of, of, of fields that you didn't plant. And, and, and walk into that land and immediately be receiving blessing and abundance from me simply because I love you and you're my people. That's a, a wonderful promise, isn't it? And here at the beginning of this chapter, the Lord says, okay, even in spite of your sin, I am willing to bless you. Aren't you thankful that God is willing to bless us even in spite of our failures? He's willing to be gracious and kind and merciful to us. He's willing to, to, to continue to shed his love on us. Friend, all the good things that you receive are blessings at the hand of the Lord. The Bible says he daily loadeth us with benefits. And I'll tell you this, I can look at my life and I know good and well, none of the blessings of God can I say I deserve this. God is just good. God is just good. He daily loads me with benefits that I don't deserve. And here he's doing the same thing for his people. And he says, listen, I'm going to go ahead and bring you into that promised land. And, and I am going to even send my angel before you and prepare the way. You know, I think most people, probably even most Christians, would say, okay, Lord, you want to go on blessing me? You want to go on doing good things for me and rewarding me with good in spite of my failures? That's fine by me. God, you go ahead and do that. But there was a caveat, a big caveat to this promise, because the Lord had said, my presence can't go with you. You see, God is righteous and holy and good, and these people had corrupted themselves. And they were wicked. And he said, if I, if I come in the midst of you, what's going to happen is I'm going to consume you. The Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. Their unrighteousness, their unholiness in the presence of a holy God would actually destroy them. And so God said, I, I, my presence can't go with you because of this wickedness that you've done. And I want you to notice that Moses... In verse number 12, he cries out to the Lord. It says, And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. 
Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. God, your promise to me, and this is one of the things that stands out to me about Moses. Moses was less interested about all the blessings of the promised land and more interested in the fact that God said, I know who you are, Moses. He said in verse number 14, the Lord here, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. And Moses makes a statement in verse 15. He said, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. I want you to think about how profound that statement is. With everything I just told you about the promised land and the blessings that God promised in the promised land, right now they're living in the wilderness. They don't have a home. They're living in tents. They're moving about just as the Lord leads them. When there's a, uh, during the day, there's a cloud. At night, there's a pillar of fire in the sky. When the cloud or the pillar of fire moves, they move. When it rests, they rest. That was their life. You know what they're eating? Manna that's coming down from heaven that God's providing for them. But they, I mean, they don't, I mean, that's a day by day thing. They're living hand to mouth. You know what they're drinking? Water that sometimes is bitter and has to be made sweet. Water sometimes that doesn't exist and God has to bring it out of a rock. I mean, they're living in a, a difficult situation and truly living day by day, moment by moment, just dependent on the hand of the Lord. And I would think, living in that situation, the promise of a land that is flowing with milk and honey would sound pretty good. But Moses said to God, listen, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with me, I don't want to leave the wilderness. In other words, what he's saying is, I would rather live in the wilderness in the presence of God than in the promised land without the presence of God. Because Moses was passionate about being in the presence of God. He knew that he needed God. And without a relationship with God and without the presence of God, all the external blessings were vain and empty and, and, and really not fulfilling. Do you realize that we live in a world that does not understand this truth? People are going around and they live their life for what? For some kind of enjoyment or satisfaction. They're looking for fulfillment in the things of this world, and they're finding no matter how much money they make, no matter how big a house they live in, no matter how nice a car they drive, that those things cannot satisfy. And so when they, when they kind of reach the end of that pursuit, they say, well, maybe I can find happiness in a relationship. And you find people jumping from one relationship to the next, to the next, to the next, because they find when I'm looking to find satisfaction and fulfillment in other people, it always comes up empty. Those people always let me down. They always fail me, and I don't find real satisfaction there. And some people sadly turn to things like drugs and alcohol, hoping to numb that, that 
aching desire in them that they don't know, uh, you know, what, what is it that's going to finally make me happy, where I can finally feel fulfilled, and it comes up once again empty. And Solomon described it in the book of Ecclesiastes as vanity. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. Here was a man who had everything that, that, that anyone could ever wish for. He had wisdom, and he had money, and he had, uh, he had relationships, and and, and he set out to find fulfillment in hobbies and in, in knowledge and in travel and all these different things. And everything that he did, he came up empty. He said, it's all vanity. It's all empty. It's all worthless. And friend, as long as you're living your life trying to find your satisfaction and fulfillment in the things of this world or the blessings of this world, I promise you, you will never be fulfilled. But when you find your satisfaction in a true, real, genuine relationship with God, you can be content and rejoicing wherever you are and whatever your circumstance. Moses had learned this. Lord, the promised land sounds great. But if your presence isn't there, I don't want it. I wonder how many times we miss out on God's best for us because we think that we'll be better off enjoying the blessings of this life and we sacrifice the presence of God. Moses was passionate about the presence of God. Secondly, though, I want to say that Moses was persistent in his pursuit of God. Moses was persistent in his pursuit of God. Moses, I told you, had met with God at the burning bush. He had seen the Lord use him to bring plagues upon Egypt that ultimately would lead to the children of Israel leaving e Egypt and heading out toward the promised land. He had seen the Lord part the Red Sea. He had experienced God's protection and provision in the wilderness. He had spent, listen to this, 40 days and 40 nights on top of Mount Sinai in the very presence of God listening to the voice of God for 40 days and 40 nights. You know what the Bible tells us? That he had no food or water for 40 days. Now you say, wait a second here. Because you can live 40 days without food. At least some of us can. I, I could probably go 40 days without food. I've got reserves. <laughs> what are you laughing at? All right. We can live 40 days without food. But we know scientifically, that you can't live 40 days without water, right? God defies science sometimes. God was able to sustain him. Just being in the very presence of God sustained him. I mean, Moses knew what it was to, 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 to know God, to walk with God, and you might think that Moses 
should have been satisfied with where he was. But I want you to notice, after the Lord has now promised that he's going to go with him, verse number 18, we didn't read this yet. Moses here says, and he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. You know what Moses is saying? Lord, I know you. But I don't know you like I want to know you. With with all of our history, with everything that that you have led me through, and, and having been in your presence, and the Bible even says prior to this that the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaketh with his friend. Now we understand by things that are stated later on that God was not truly revealing the, the face and form of God to him. But the, the relationship that he had was as though they were meeting face to face. God was speaking to him. And Moses is like, God... Can I just see you for who you are? I I, I beseech thee. I mean, that, that phrase, it literally means to plead, to beg. Lord, I want to know you more than I know you. Moses had experienced a closeness with God in a sense more than any of us probably ever have. Now, we could argue that what we have today is better than what Moses had because we have a completed Bible and we have an indwelling Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying that I want to exchange with where Moses was. I'm thankful for where God has us today and the blessings that He's given to us. Hebrews tells us God's provided some better thing for us. But I'm just saying that there were some things that Moses had experienced that I've never experienced and you've never experienced. And he could have easily said, you know what? I have probably had more interaction with God than any other individual has maybe ever in the history of the world. And I guess I'm content with that. But Moses was not content. He was persistent in his pursuit of God. He was... He was consistent in saying, Lord, I need to know you more than I know you. And friend, can I say to you that God's plan for us as His people is to be continually growing and changing. To be continually growing closer to God than we have been in the past. And there's a a, a tragic thing that happens sometimes after maybe you've been saved for some time and and, and you've experienced some growth and you've got some maturity, you've got some discernment and, and wisdom and you've got some victory over some things and you've got some service to God kind of, you know, notches in your belt. You can point back and say, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. Something tragic happens to us where a lot of times we decide we're content with where we are spiritually. We feel as though we've kind of arrived 
And we really don't necessarily need to go further. Now, most of us probably wouldn't admit that. But it's a reality where we kind of get in this groove that, you know, as long as I'm not backsliding, then I'm okay because I know God. I've, I've read through the Bible and, and, and I'm faithful in church and I've done this and I've done that. And we've got this idea that I've reached a point of spiritual maturity that uh, I guess I'll get to know God more when I get to heaven. But I already know Him as much as I can this side of heaven. And friend, I'm just telling you, I don't care how long you've been saved and how long you've been walking with God, you have not begun to scratch the surface of really knowing God. Moses got that down. And he said, I beseech thee, Show me thy glory. See, the disciples asked Jesus in Luke 17 and verse 5, they said, increase our faith. Philippians chapter 1, Paul says to the Philippians, after telling them how thankful and how proud he is of them, he says to them, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it, unto the day of Christ. In other words, I'm confident that God is still working to draw you closer to Himself. And whether you've been saved for two years or or for 50 years or more, I am confident that God wants to draw you closer to Him. That He wants you to know Him in a deeper way than you know Him today. And friend, if you would get a hold of that, and if you would get a hold of a desire that says, Lord, I just want to know you more than I know you. And you would begin to be serious about seeking God. Pastor Ricker mentioned at the beginning the, the, the promise from God, and ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 that his desire was that he may know God. And and you know what he said? Not as though I had already attained. Either were already perfect. He said, I follow after. I'm not living my life as though I've already arrived at where God wants me. I am living my life passionately pursuing and seeking to know God in a way that I have never known Him before. I want to know Him. So Moses here pleads with God and says, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And look at verse number 19, look at what he says. And he said... I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me. (laughs) And thou shalt stand upon a rock, Come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in the cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by, and I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. So Moses 
pleads with God, let me see you in your glory. You know what God says? I'm going to let you see as much of me as you can see without dying. And I'm going to put you in a place where I'm going to protect you. But I'm going to show you things about myself. Here's the fascinating thing. Moses said, show me thy glory. And we get this picture maybe in our mind that God just physically and visibly passed by him. But the Lord began to say things to him that really don't make a lot of sense to me. He said, I'll proclaim all the goodness of the Lord. He said, I'll I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and, and show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. He said, I'll make all my goodness pass before thee. And I read that sometimes and I think, wait a minute. What exactly is the Lord doing as He's revealing His glory to Moses? He's bringing by, literally, physically bringing past Moses the goodness and glory of God. And I've, I've got to admit, I don't fully grasp this and understand this. Here's what I know. Moses said, Lord, I need, to, I need to know you. Show me thy glory. And God said, I'm going to do something for you. I am going to let you see. I'm going to pull back the curtain and let you see some things that I can't reveal at all because if I do, you'll die. <laughs> but I'm going to let you see some things that you haven't experienced before. And here's the thing, friend. If, if, if you and I would get very serious about dwelling in the presence of God and pursuing a closeness and a relationship with Him that goes beyond what we have experienced before, I believe that there are some things that God would let us experience and see about Himself that we haven't, that we haven't been able to see before, that we haven't understood before. I'm just saying, I, I can't help but think that there is something that God has for me where He'd be willing to just kind of pull back the curtain a little bit more and say, Brian, I want to show you some things about myself and, and let you see a glimpse into who I really am in a way and experience me in a way that you haven't before, but you've got to be serious about seeking me. Friend, I just want to ask you, How serious are you about seeking God? See, complacency, that's kind of the enemy of growth. You remember that church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, that church that the Lord said they were lukewarm and He was going to spew them out, out of His mouth. One of the things He said is this, "...because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods..." And have need of nothing. You know what what made them lukewarm? You know what made them uh, 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 apathetic? You know what made them uh, what they were? They were content. They thought, hey, we've got it under control. I, I don't need anything from God. And there's a sense in which, friend, if you want to live your life as though you need nothing from God you won't get anything from God. But if you'll learn, and and most of us here could probably testify of times of 
great weakness and despair where we realized our only hope was the Lord and we turned to the Lord and what do we find? That He has everything we need and more if we'll seek Him. Tonight, I just want to encourage you, like Moses, to say, Lord, my top priority is not to have everything I want to have or do everything I want to do. My top priority is I want to live every day in your presence. And between here and glory... I want to know you more and more and more and more. Someday, I'll get to see Him face to face. My Bible tells me that when I see Him face to face, I'm going to be like Him because I'll see Him as He is. But between now and then, as He's got me here wandering in wilderness. I can't help but think that there is something more that I can know of God and see of God that He has available for me if I'll just seek Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, tonight I just want to thank You that You love us enough and care about us enough that you have not only saved us, but you've invited us to fellowship with you, to have a, a, a true and genuine and sincere relationship with you. I thank you, Lord, that in your word you've given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. You've we have the full revelation of God to man in our hands. But Lord, we understand that our relationship with You is something that is... Because it is a, an authentic relationship, it depends on fellowship and it depends on our, our seeking of You. And our, Lord, we are human and living in this flesh, we struggle. Lord, my mind is too limited to be able to grasp everything that you have. But Lord, as, as we seek you, you tend to open our understanding and, and draw us closer to yourself. And so, Father, I pray that tonight you would help each one of us here, Lord, to get very serious about not just going through the motions of serving you and having some kind of a a general Christian experience that we can point to. But Lord, would you help us to get passionate about living life in your presence and constantly pursuing, Lord, I want to know you more. I want to grow in you more. I want to be more Christ-like. And Lord, help us fulfill that promise for us that as we seek you, we'll find you. That we may know you as much as humanly possible this side of heaven, Lord, may we know you. And would you be glorified in our lives. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor. God and I is closed.
You know, if you haven't been, excuse me, if you haven't been in the presence of God this week, if you haven't experienced that power, you ought to be at the altar tonight. We ought to be seeking Him that we may know Him. That was Paul's goal in life and Moses' goal in life, and it ought to be my goal in life. Nothing matters but to know Him. there's callousness in your heart, if there's complacency or comfort, if we're satisfied with where we're at, we need to be down here in the front on our knees asking God to, to humble us and give us that desire again. Maybe you don't know the Lord as your Savior. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never accepted the Lord as your Savior. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father. That presence that we're talking about, no man cometh unto the Father but by me, through Jesus Christ. You can experience the presence of God by giving your heart and soul to Jesus. Do you know Him as your Savior? You're here for a reason tonight. What an accident. God prepared that message for each one of us. Let's be faithful to apply what He's given us to our heart and life. Not to let this time waste. this way. Thank you for being here tonight. The Bible says in the, in the presence